0: Living right or believing right, which matters most? I mean, if you do believe all the right stuff, but you don't live it out, is it better than believing everything that's wrong, but being at least a loving person? Which is more important, doing or believing? Your orthodoxy, you may have heard that term, right? It means right belief. So is it more important to focus on your orthodoxy or orthopraxy, right action? Is it more important that we believe in Jesus or that our lives are lived very similar to Jesus? Well, that's an age-old question. It's actually one that philosophers have argued about for thousands of years and even really long before the dawn of Christianity in this world. And it's one that the Bible itself argues with itself about. Remember what I've said all summer, the Bible is this ancient library of writings and stories and poetries and letters, and they do not all speak with one voice, and that's certainly true of this topic. There is tension here between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, and that tension is especially seen in this latter part of scriptures that are these letters written to the church. Remember, the Apostle Paul was once so very legalistic when he was known as Saul, following the letter of the law to the T, so focused on everyone having the right practices, and yet he's the one. Who is changed by the grace of God and becomes so passionate about God's grace and love that will never let you go, that we spoke about all through the month of July. And Paul's the one who spends so much of his life in ministry focused on the Gentiles, because for Paul, what matters most is believing, it's trusting, that the grace of God for you is also for all people, not so much just following the letter of the law, the rules. And yeah, Paul cares a lot about how you live, that comes up in his letters too, but he cares so much even more about what you believe, that you trust God's grace, and that in that trusting you're made whole and right. But here's the thing, Paul is not the only voice in the New Testament. Remember, we also have letters from Peter and letters from John and Jude and so many different Writers. Then there's that letter to the Hebrews, who we don't even know who wrote that. And then there's the letter of James, so often thought to be James, the biological brother of Jesus. James, who seems to be writing a letter that's by and for a Jewish audience, not Gentiles. And James, who certainly has a very different perspective than Paul. As we just heard read a moment ago, and if you've spent any time in the book of James, you know that James has a whole lot more to say about what we do than what we believe. In fact, James can be so strident about our doing that there have been all kinds of Christians and theologians along the way, including some of the well-known ones like Martin Luther, the reformer, who thought, you know what, James is one of those letters that really should be pulled out of our Bible. And he was serious about it. He thought James should come out of the scriptures. By the way, a little side note here, did you know that what is in the scriptures and what is not considered scriptures has always been and still is today up for debate. Did you know even Catholics and Protestants today have different Bibles? We don't all agree on what rises to the level of scripture. Well, Luther, he would have said, sure, keep James around for the scholars to say, but it is all too focused on works-based righteousness. It should be taken out but it's still here <laughs> isn't it it's still there held in this collection of writings we call scriptures arguing with some of the other writings that we also call scriptures because remember the bible is a text in travail struggling wrestling with itself and that wrestling rest it lies right here in the middle of this ancient argument between what we do and what we believe which matters most which is primary and when it comes down to it who do you trust so imagine for a moment that there's some white American male pastor out there I know that's really hard to picture but this particular pastor's name is Sam and Sam is absolutely clear Women and men are of equal value before the eyes of God, but they have different roles to play. It's called complementarianism. Men are to lead, and women are to care for their families. Men are to teach in the church, and women are to bake for the church. (laughs) And everything Sam says makes my stomach cringe, and maybe yours too, because we know just how wrong he is and how hurtful that can be to so many. And yet, Sam treats his wife with more love and kindness and grace than anyone else you know. Sam, he actually does a lot better job at apologizing to his spouse when he needs to than I do or you do. Sam is everything that the 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter says we should be and do when it comes to love. He's patient and kind and forgiving and long-suffering. He believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what Sam says and believes about men and women having different roles, well, to you and me, it doesn't seem to mesh with how he lives, but it works for him and his family and his church. There is love and grace and mutuality. But still, Sam is certainly never going to ask a woman to preach in his church and certainly won't support that young teenage girl in his church as she feels the calling of God in her life. But good news, because down the road there's Pastor Jem. And Jim, he is adamant that in Christ there is no longer male or female, just as Paul says in Galatians, for we are all one in Christ. And Pastor Jim points out that if you read the Bible closely, there were clearly deacons who were women and elders who were women, and yes, pastors who were women that were partners with Paul. So Jim, he is committed to changing the way that the church has always treated women. And Jim, he lifts up women's voices, and he asks women to preach and to lead. And Jim ordains women, and he supports women's issues, even out in his community. Pastor Jim is this known advocate, willing to put his name on the line to help women whenever he could. But when no one else is around, Pastor Jim is also incredibly critical of his own wife. Little digs and comments grow over time, one after another after another, degrading his wife when they're in private and even degrading her eventually by his actions. Because you see the tension between Jim and his wife, it grew and it grew and that distance and scars and they grew over the decades. And eventually Jim starts finding intimacy somewhere else. And after a few years, it happens more and more often, almost every time Jim's on a work trip, someone else ends up in his bed. Jim is an advocate for women, and yet destroying the woman that matters most. So the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James push us to ask which of these two men stand more right before the eyes of God? Sam in his loving kindness but wrong and hurtful beliefs and teachings? Or Jim in his holy advocacy for so many women but his destructive behavior towards that one woman that he matters most? What do you think? Does what we believe... What we do matter more. Well, I want to invite you to do something I don't have you do very often. Pick up your Bible and or your phone if you have a Bible app or the Bible in front of you in your pew and turn to Galatians chapter three. Galatians is a letter, a few more letters before James. Galatians chapter three. And I want to remind you of something that Paul once said. Galatians chapter 3. In my Bible, it is right about there. (laughs) So good luck in finding it in yours. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. And in this section, if you look at the top of chapter 3, maybe your Bible has a heading there, and it's my heading says, Law or Faith? This is what Paul is talking about in this section. And there in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, I want want you to hear what Paul says as he's wrestling with this question. Verse 6, just as Abraham, quote, and he's quoting the Old Testament, just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, unquote, so you see, those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. In other words, not those who just follow the laws, what he's saying in this section, those who believe. In other words, what matters for Abraham, what made him the great father of faith, is that he believed for everything else there is grace. Our actions are always covered by grace. But let's just imagine Paul is up here and he's preaching this and saying this to a church, and James just happens to be out in the congregation that day. And James shoots his hands up and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Paul. By the way, never do that to me or to another pastor in the middle of their sermon. But James does. He shoots his hands up and he says, wait a minute, not so fast, Paul. And look again at what James, he walks up in front of everybody, and look at what he says. Go back to James chapter 2. So you've got to turn even further in the New Testament. James comes right after the book of Hebrews, right before the books of First and 2 Peter. So try to find James again. James chapter 2, this reading that we just heard, starting in verse 18. I think most of us are about there. Listen, as James walks up in front of the church that Paul was just speaking to, just pretending here, listen to what he says. James says, someone, Paul, will say to me, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, which remember, pause for a second. God is one is the ancient Jewish confession. It's the ultimate theological belief for Jews. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? That's the primary faith confession. So he's saying you've got right beliefs about God. You believe God is one, great. You do well. Guess what? Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith, apart from works, is barren? Was not, here we go, was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion. How? By the works. Thus, the scripture was then fulfilled that you, Paul, just quoted, quote, Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him righteous. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) You hear them fighting with each other, using the very same scripture and story to make their points. This is the beauty of the Bible. Remember, it's not an answer book. It's a book about real struggles that we have to live and to know God and to follow God faithfully and and to discern these things. The Bible wrestles with itself, and it invites us into the holy wrestling too. So, does what we think and believe matter more, or does how we treat others matter more? Does our politics and our political beliefs matter more or our actions towards the world around us matter more? Does our belief in Jesus matter more or does living a loving life, no matter what we believe, a life that actually looks like Jesus matter more? the scriptures seem to hold together two very different perspectives on this, doesn't it? And I can't help but wonder if that's us to help us hold two very different perspectives together in our soul as well. I mean, maybe this is another one of those places where we've got to push past our either-or way of living and being in this world into the both-and way of living and being. After all... Aren't Pastor Sam and Pastor Jim both and? Aren't they both holy and yet so broken? Aren't they both so wrong and so right? Aren't they both sinner and saint all at the same time? And can you see that maybe... Just maybe you are too, sinner and saint, and so am I. Because here's the thing, we can be so right, and even prophetically right, and yet a hurtful presence to the world around us. And we can be so dead wrong in what we think, but still a life-giving blessing presence to others at the same time. And I know it's so dang hard to believe that about others because everything in us wants to put people in good guy and bad guy categories. Everything in us needs to simplify it so we can understand good person, bad person. But the invitation we have as followers of Jesus is to recognize that the divine spark is actually in all of us I mean, if we are followers of Jesus, then somehow we have to learn that there is something so blessed and so broken in, say, blind Bartimaeus, who Jesus heals on his way into Jerusalem. And A week later, there is something so blessed and so broken in that Roman centurion that helps crucify him. And then when he breathes his last, the Roman centurion being the only person in the gospel mark who says, surely that was the son of God. There's something so holy and so broken and Martha's doing and serving as we see in that icon on the front of our worship guide today. And there's something so holy and yet still so broken and Mary's just sitting in her adoration of Jesus. There is something so holy in John the Baptist's extreme, ascetic lifestyle of fasting, and there is something so holy and beautiful in all of that wine and celebration at the wedding of Cana where Jesus multiplies the water into wine. If we are followers of Jesus, then we have to begin to see that there is something so holy Something of the spark of God's life in all of us. We are all sinner and saint, and so are all the people around us. And so the scriptures hold together Paul's message of grace and love for everyone, along with James' demand that faith without works is dead. And here's the thing we as a church, we have spent a lot of time this summer with Paul's message, haven't we? with Paul's message that God's love will never let us go. So for the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time with James, hearing what he has to say about how we live. And let me just warn you a little bit, it might be a good time to skip church for a few weeks. Because what he says is going to kind of push your buttons. He's got a lot to say about the rich and the poor and how we use our money. And it's going to make us squirm. And he's got a lot to say about what comes out of our mouths, the words we speak in public or in private, and how we use our tongues. And it's going to sting. And he's got something to say to us about confessing and about telling the truth. And he's got something to say about that really hard work of wisdom and discerning God's guidance. And all of it will challenge us. It's going to sting a little bit. So... I know school is starting, but go ahead and go on vacation now. (laughs) But the thing is, I think we do need to hear it because it is awfully easy, especially for educated folks like us. You like how I put educated and folks together? It's easy for us to get smug in what we think and not pay enough attention sometimes to what we do. See, I have a hunch that the scriptures are teaching us that when it comes to our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, both will shape our souls. Both matter deeply to God. Both our beliefs and our actions, they work together to shape our life, and both will affect the world around you. Sam and Jim, they're both a source of blessing for some and curses for others. They're not just one or the other, and maybe we are two. But if we could just change what we think and how we think a little bit, and if we could just change what we do and how we do just a little bit to become just a little bit more of a blessing, just a little bit, more in tune with the very heart of God, then I think that's worth a little sting. Amen? Amen.